thanks for being here. Uh, I'm Nicolas Minardi. I'm a cryptographic en engineer in the Proving System team. And today uh, I'm going to uh, tell you uh, basically what we found in a research process that uh, we started uh, some, some months ago uh, in order to identify possible solutions in order to uh, simplify uh, the, the life of developers in uh, uh, writing provable application logic, which, uh, as uh, Alberto was mentioning this morning, uh, is uh, usually necessary in our sidechain. And basically, uh, these solutions can be classified in two main different approaches, which are domain-specific languages and uh, zero-knowledge virtual machine. So let's start from uh, the goal. So why do we need these uh, uh, solutions? So the idea is that uh, uh, we, we need to uh, write provable application logic. And by provable application logic, we mean uh, that we want to uh, be able to generate a succeed proof of correct execution of an application. So correct execution basically uh, means uh, it's the computational integrity statement that uh, if you uh, attended several presentations you already seen. But basically, this computational integrity statement means that uh, uh, we want to be sure that the output of the computation was computed correctly from the input of the computation. And uh, the, the problem when uh, uh, we write provable application logic is that usually this requires developers to write uh, this logic in the form of an arithmetic circuit. And writing an arithmetic circuit uh, basically means specifying the computation as a set of constraints on the values involved in the computation. Uh, the uh, libraries for circuit writing, let's say, usually expose some interfaces which are called gadgets, which are usually uh, methods which allow to implement uh, some uh, operation, we, and they, these uh, operations are translated to constraints. Uh, but even uh, employing these gadgets, the, the, these interfaces are still quite low level, so usually you need, for instance, to mix a code which is translated to uh, constraints, which code which is just needed to process the input. So the, the boundary between what is enforced and what is not enforced is not so uh, easy to be spot for a non-expert developer. And so for traditional developers, uh, even employing gadgets, uh, building, uh, uh, writing uh, application logic in this way is still too unfriendly. And this is a problem uh, in our context because uh, the expertise that may be needed to write provable application logic may discourage developers from uh, using our sidechains to write these, uh, uh, these applications. Instead, uh, the, the motivation that led us to explore this solution was uh, it, uh, it will be really nice if developers can write uh, application in the way they are used to, to do this, so with a high-level programming language. So this has advantages in terms of uh, usability and uh, also in terms of security, because uh, uh, when uh, there is a high-level program, basically the developer has just to write the program, and uh, uh, he will be sure that everything that is written in the program will be actually enforced in, uh, in the application logic. And so, uh, as I mentioned in the title, we identified two different approaches. The first approach uh, is uh, defining a domain-specific language that allows to specify a circuit. So the idea is that we, instead of the, the, the developers having to write the constraints, it can write a high-level program in this language. 
And then there is a compiler which is able to take this program and translate it to a circuit. So uh, it will compute a proving key and a verification key representing the circuit. Then there is also another component, uh, which is uh, the runner, which basically will uh, run the programs all together with its inputs and will generate what it's called witness data. So the witness data basically, basically are the assignments to the variables which are uh, found in the compiled circuit. And then once we have witness data, the proving and verification key, basically we can generate the proof uh, in the usual way you would do with the proving system. So uh, you use proving key and witness data to generate the proof and the proof can be verified with the verification key. So in this approach, the fundamental component is the compiler and the compiler basically uh, needs to translate this high level program into an arithmetic circuit. And of course the compiler uh, should ensure that the function implemented by the input program is actually the same functions which is enforced by the output circuit. Uh, how the, do these compilers usually work? So the idea is that they still rely on these gadgets, but they abstract these gadgets for the users. So uh, the idea is that uh, they employ, they define and, uh, a typed intermediate representation, which is quite common concept in compiler. Then uh, there is a module which basically takes the programs written in the DSL and translates it into an equivalent program written in this intermediate representation. And once uh, uh, we have this program in the intermediate representation, basically, since this type is uh, mapped to a gadget uh, and the operation is implemented by the type are mapped to methods of the gadget, basically, it is possible to replace the operation in these uh, representations with the corresponding gadget. And by composing the different gadgets according to the program structure, basically, we obtain the circuit. Since the output of the compilation is an arithmetic circuit, basically the main metric in order to evaluate the efficiency of the program that we are going to use uh, in the following is uh, the number of constraints. So the program will be, uh, the, the compiled program will be uh, as, uh, uh, the, the more efficient as we minimize the number of constraints. Uh, the second approach is that uh, it's much different and it's, uh, uh, are the zero-knowledge virtual machine. So here, instead of compiling a program to a circuit, uh, we have a, a virtual machine. So we have a machine that is able to take as input an arbitrary program. Uh, it can execute the program, compute the output. But besides that, the virtual machine basically generates also a proof of correct execution, which is uh, exactly what we need from, from our goal. So let's see more in detail how does it work. Uh, so we have uh, uh, that uh, each virtual machine has uh, its own instruction set and this instruction set is basically, it's usually a low level instruction set uh, which specifies the language which we can write input programs and this language is usually an assembly language. And uh, basically uh, each virtual machine defines also the concept of state. So the state is a set of components which won't be really generic. So the components can be a register set Usually there is also memory, as uh, uh, Luca was mentioning uh, uh, this morning. Uh, and uh, the idea is that uh, each instruction basically uh, specifies how to, to update the state of the virtual machine. So the first component of the virtual machine is uh, a runner. So this runner uh, basically takes the program uh, in the input uh, and uh, together with the program inputs and basically generates what it's called an execution trace. 
So the execution trace is, we can see it as a log, which basically records all the states which are encountered by the VM during the program execution. And then in order to generate the proof, uh, the idea is that the virtual machine comes with uh, an arithmetic circuit, and this arithmetic circuit takes as input uh, a cryptographic digest, or so let's say a hash, a type of hash of the program, and the execution trace, and basically this circuit uh, should uh, enforce, should ensure that the execution trace corresponds to the correct execution of the program with, uh, which has a digest which corresponds to the uh, input program digest. So the idea of using program digest is to have a compact way uh, to uh, specify the, the program input which can be employed also by the, the verifier to verify the, the proof. Uh, one important thing uh, is that uh, basically the circuit uh, needs to verify that the instructions that are found in the execution trace corresponds to the instructions of the uh, program provided in input and uh, that the execution trace correctly update, update the states. But in order to do this, basically the circuit just needs to have one set of constraints for each specific type of instructions. And basically, this means that the circuit is independent from the input program. And this is a big difference with respect to the previous approach where each program was compiled to a different circuit because in this case, with one circuit, we can actually run any program. And we'll see that this is a difference which has much many implications also for the usability of uh, uh, the two solutions. But uh, if we look at this uh, uh, workflow, basically we see that we do not really achieve our goal because uh, in this slide, the input program is written in assembly. And basically, not developers want to write input program in assembly. And that's why usually ZKVMs need also a compiler. So in a ZKVM, a compiler is, has basically the same purpose the, the compilers were originally introduced for, uh, which is translating a program in high-level language to the assembly language of the virtual machine. And similar to traditional compilers, in this case, uh, we want, in order to measure the efficiency of, uh, of the program when it is executed, what it counts is the number of executed instructions, which uh, in turn is proportional to the length of the, the execution trace. Okay, so let's now uh, compare these two approach by looking at the limitation that we have uh, when we write uh, programs with uh, the high-level languages uh, that are available with these two approaches. So the first limitation is uh, conditional execution. So uh, executing uh, programs with uh, conditional instructions like uh, if-else statement. And the main problem uh, in DSL uh, is that uh, basically this if-else statement must be translated to, to an arithmetic circuit. So basically, uh, when we, the compiler has to generate a circuit, of course, it needs to take into account all the possible executions, so it needs to generate constraints for both uh, the branches. Uh, so if we consider this simple example, we have a function which uh, uh, has a different output depending on uh, a Boolean flag. And in this case, we see that uh, the, uh, basically the, the function generates two constraints, one for, for each branch, uh, which is the constraints computing D and E. Uh, and then a third constraint, which basically allows to conditionally select the results. The problem is that when this circuit needs to be evaluated, uh, in an arithmetic circuit, we have no way uh, 
to uh, evaluate just a subset of the constraints depending on the input values. So even if uh, some of the constraints may be useless, uh, the circuit needs to evaluate all of them. Uh, therefore, this means that the cost of evaluation the, the circuit and thus to generate the proof is basically proportional to both branches. And this is uh, quite inefficient with respect to what we expect from a conditional instructions because when we execute an if-else, usually we expect the execution should be proportional just to one of the branch. And uh, because of this, uh, basically many of the existing uh, languages uh, support only limited type of if-else if statements. So instead of uh, allowing the developers to have arbitrary code blocks in this statement, they usually uh, allow to assign the values to a single variable, which is something which is called ternary operator in, uh, in some languages. And so this is the first limitations for DSL. But uh, in zero-knowledge virtual machine uh, programs, we don't have this limitation. And the reason is that uh, we have a, a single circuit, which, as we saw before, is independent from the program code. So if we run uh, a program uh, with an, uh, conditional instructions, basically, uh, the, if uh, different instructions are executed, this will only affect the, the execution trace. So for this example, uh, we uh, employ uh, simplified execution trace. Real execution trace is much more complex than this. Uh, but in this simplified version, there is a program counter register which keeps track of which instructions is executed. And there is uh, one uh, register value, let's say, for uh, each variable uh, of the program. And basically, if we consider two different executions with two different values of the flag, we see that uh, uh, two different executions just yield different values in the execution trace table. And most importantly, the length of this execution trace depends, which is the, the cost metric for execution, depends only on the number of instructions of a single branch, not of, bo of both, bra both branches and in the previous case. And so this means that in zero-knowledge virtual machine, we, have, uh, we don't have uh, this limitations in terms of efficiency that we, we saw in, uh, in DSL. Then there are loops. In DSL, uh, uh, loops are even more complex to be translated to a circuit. Uh, why? Uh, well, because the circuit, uh, uh, when the compiler needs to translate a loop to a circuit, uh, it needs to generate a circuit that is able to run all possible iteration of, uh, of the loop because uh, the circuit must work for any possible uh, input values. But since uh, the, all the constraints must always be evaluated, this means that uh, the, uh, the loop is basically translated to an arithmetic circuit uh, whose evaluation has a cost which is proportionally, always proportional to the maximum possible number of iterations. And the overhead of this strategy uh, is uh, different depending on the type of loop. So in the simpler case, uh, we have a loop with a fixed number of iterations, so this really simple loop. Uh, the compilers know that this loop will always perform uh, nine iterations, so it will do a simple loop rolling. So it will just explicitly list all the iterations of the loop and convert each iteration to, to a constraint. So in this case, the overhead is basically negligible because the compiler is not adding uh, uh, is not uh, doing uh, more iterations than, than actually needed. But of course, not all loops are that simple. And so if we consider only a slightly more complex loop, but with a variable number of iterations, then the compilation becomes much trickier. So in this example, uh, clearly the number of iterations of the loop depends on uh, the input variable A. 
And uh, assuming that the variable is an unsigned integer, uh, then the compiler can determine that uh, uh, the loop will, run, uh, will be run at most 10 times. So what the compiler can do in order to generate a circuit is basically uh, transforming the code in the snippet reported on, on the right. So the idea is that the compiler will transform the loop in a loop with a fixed number of iteration and then employ a conditional instruction in order to determine which iteration will affect uh, the result. Uh, in, in this case, the overhead of this strategy is uh, much higher because first, first of all, the compiler will always perform the maximum number, uh, the, the circuit will always perform the maximum number of iteration regardless of the input. So in this case, if, if uh, A is nine, instead of one iteration, it will need to perform 10 iterations. And also each iteration is also costlier because uh, the compiler needs to add the conditional instruction, which as we saw before, uh, is not that cheap when translated to a circuit. And of course, so this first of all is inefficient and of course this is possible only uh, for loops where the compiler can determine an upper bound. So in this case it was simple, but in general determining upper, a reasonable upper bound for a loop is basically impossible. And because of this, uh, the, the existing languages basically usually allow only loops of this form. So while loops basically they do not exist in, uh, in DSL programs. And this is another big limitation. But uh, instead, uh, if we move uh, to zero knowledge virtual machine, again, we do not have such uh, limitations because uh, the zero knowledge, in the zero knowledge virtual machine, basically, if we execute different, different uh, iteration of the loop, uh, it's totally possible we will just have an execution trace with, uh, with a different sites. So for instance, here there is an example with a much more complex loop than, than the previous one. So, this is a loop uh, where it is unknown the number uh, uh, of iterations for uh, the given input A. Uh, but, uh, so it's a Turing complete code, but the zero knowledge virtual machine can run this code because it can just run the code, uh, records the, the values in the execution trace. So if we consider different values of the input, we will have just different uh, number of iteration and a different length of the execution trace. So basically this example shows that we can run two complete code in zero knowledge virtual machine, but uh, we have to take into account that uh, uh, the output of the execution is the, this execution trace. This execution trace is an input to a circuit and the circuit has uh, a fixed side. So also the input uh, has an upper bound. So this means that uh, also the, the, the sides of the execution trace must, uh, must be bounded. And therefore, even if we can execute during complete code, in practice, there is always an upper bound uh, on the number of, uh, of instructions. And the last big limitation in, uh, in DSL is the uh, input-dependent access to collection of data. So to simplify, for instance, to uh, data structures like uh, arrays. And again, the reason is that uh, uh, if... Uh, 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 the compiler must convert an access to an element of the array, uh, and the element is, uh, the, the index access is, is input dependent, the compiler uh, needs to take into account all possible executions, and so all possible elements of the array might be accessed. So basically the compiler needs to generate a circuit uh, which allows to access any element, and this necessarily requires to iterate over the entire collection even for a single access. So, 
uh, if we uh, stick to the example of uh, uh, an array, basically the compiler will need to generate a circuit based on this logic, which requires to iterate over all the elements and employ a, uh, NIF uh, instructions in order to update the results only when uh, the currently accessed element corresponds to the element being, uh, being requested. And of course, when this code is transformed to a circuit, the number of constraints, which is our cost matrix, is linear in the size of, of the array, even if we want to access a single element of the array. So this has a big overhead. Again, in ZKVM programs, we don't have uh, this, uh, this problem because ZKVMs has uh, memory as part of the state, uh, and therefore they have also assembly instructions to access arbitrary memory locations, so instructions like load and store uh, in uh, traditional architectures. Uh, memory accesses become part of the execution trace, and of course the arithmetic circuit of the VM must, must ensure the coherence of these memory accesses. So coherence means, for instance, that if we have a write operation and then a read operation, then the value which was written must correspond to the value which will be read. Uh, enforcing this type of checks is quite complex, uh, is uh, one of the most complex parts of the design of VM. But uh, uh, mostly thanks to some advances in zero-knowledge technologies like permutation and loop arguments, basically this type of check uh, is quite cheap. Uh, so most of the VM usually allows to do this with just few constraints, which most importantly are independent from the size of the memory. And basically, uh, why do I focus on memory? Because once we have memory accesses, then implementing uh, input-dependent accesses to, for instance, array is quite straightforward because it can be done uh, with load and store as you will do in any assembly language. And uh, with a cost which is independent from the size of the memory and so from the size of the collections. So these were uh, the main limitations that we have as we've seen basically in DSL. In the KVM, we have no this limitation. Uh, and now, uh, instead, uh, uh, I want to focus on some features uh, that are not available in traditional languages, but which are relevant in uh, 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 ZK applications. So first of all, cryptographic operations. Uh, cryptographic operations are quite ubiquitous in uh, uh, this type of application. Therefore, most of the available languages usually provide specific types and functionalities uh, to implement these uh, operations. Usually, they provide hash, func hash functions and, and signature schemes. And because they are used quite frequently for efficiency, these cryptographic uh, operations are not implemented uh, with the high-level language, but they are directly mapped to uh, ad hoc gadgets, which are much more efficient. And uh, another common uh, choice is also to provide uh, uh, native field type. So here by native field, I mean uh, the finite field uh, which is employed to write the constraints uh, in the circuit. And why is this type available? Uh, first of all, because uh, most of the cryptographic operations are defined over this field. So first of all, it simplifies the interfaces for these operations. And uh, secondly, because uh, perf uh, performing this operation is the circuit is more efficient than uh, integral arithmetic, which is the one developers are used uh, to, to employ. Uh, therefore, if the developers don't really need integral arithmetics, they may choose uh, to employ this field type, which will be translated to much more efficient uh, code or circuit, depending on the approach. 
And the second uh, specific feature, which is quite important, is uh, non-determinism. So uh, non-determinism basically uh, is a well-known technique uh, that allows to, uh, when designing a circuit, uh, that allows to basically reduce the number uh, of constraints. And uh, it turns out to be useful also when, uh, uh, even if we are writing uh, Pro, uh, provable application at the higher level with an, uh, a programming language. And we are going to see this through a simple example. So we consider uh, an application where we have a public input n, and the prover should prove the knowledge of the square root of the n number in the Fibonacci. Uh, so the, basically, uh, a developer without employing non-determinism will write the application code uh, on the left. So it's uh, basically a function which compute the n Fibonacci number. Then there is a loop which uh, tries to compute the square root and check uh, if the computed element is actually the square root uh, of this number. Uh, why non-determinism helps, uh, helps us uh, uh, also in, uh, in this case? So the idea of non-determinism is that instead of having to compute the square root inside the program, we uh, add uh, a private input, so it's private uh, means that it's known only by, by the prover. Uh, so it's computed by the prover outside of, of this code, let's say. Uh, and uh, basically, if we add this square root as an input, now the, the function just needs to compute the Fibonacci element and check if the input corresponds to the, uh, square, to, to the square root of this element. And basically, as we can visually see, this uh, will allow to have much less code to be proven, which, of course, will, uh, be, will, mean, uh, will mean that the proof generation will, uh, will be more efficient. So this shows that non-determinism is useful also when writing, let's say, circuits in, uh, with a programming language. Uh, but the, the problem of employing this technique is that basically we need to modify the interface of the program by adding inputs. In that case, it's not a problem because uh, we have only one value, but if we really need to employ non-determinism for a lot of values, then it means we need to make the interface of the program much heavier and add a lot of values. And this is not so uh, manageable and scalable. So some of the languages basically uh, has uh, introduced the support for this important technique in the language level. And, this is an example with uh, the Cairo language. So Cairo is uh, the high-level language for uh, uh, the Cairo zero-knowledge virtual machine, uh, which is developed by Starkware, which allows to uh, have non-deterministic non code in, uh, in the program. So here, basically, we see the same application, but uh, written with this uh, not-so-fancy syntax of, uh, of the Cairo language. And uh, the, the, the portion which is highlighted in purple is basically the, the non-deterministic code. So this code is not part of the, the proven code. So this means that this code is only run by the runner of the virtual machine. So it will be only useful in order to compute the execution trace. And basically, this code can read the input variables of the proven code, in this case, the f, which represents the Fibonacci element, and can update values which will be later used by the proven code, in this case, the square root of the element. And uh, basically, the advantage of this approach uh, is that we can uh, interleave the proven code with the non-deterministic code. So instead of having to, prov to provide all the non-deterministic values beforehand outside the, the program, we can basically compute them on the fly directly 
uh, during program execution. Okay, so uh, after this long uh, uh, overview of uh, uh, limitations and, uh, and features of these solutions, uh, what are the takeaways? So basically we saw that both these approaches basically reach our goal, so they allow developers with no expertise and zero knowledge to write uh, provable application logic, but uh, at this point it should be quite clear that zero knowledge virtual machine have uh, uh, several advantages. So first of all in terms of programming, because with DSLs we see that uh, there are many limitations, while with zero knowledge basically we can write programs as we are used to do with traditional language. And uh, also if we consider the context of our sidechain, the ZKVM uh, have this uh, big advantage that uh, there is a single circuit for, uh, and with this circuit we can run any application. So first of all, uh, this is an advantage because there is a single circuit that needs to be audited. And uh, also there will be a single verification key. And so this means that uh, even a single sidechain may support many applications. Instead with the other approach, each application will be converted to a circuit, to, so to a specific verification key, and therefore it will need a dedicated sidechain. So the main conclusion is that uh, uh, ZKVMs uh, seems to be the preferable solution in order to allow developers uh, to, to write uh, provable applications, but uh, uh, they are a quite recent break breakthrough, and uh, currently there is no ZKVM fully available, uh, which is, which let's say it's production grade, so there is still a significant work to be done in order to uh, have this amazing possibility for, uh, for developers. So I hope you enjoyed the, the presentation and uh, now we'll be happy to take any questions. <laughs>